This is Zash Raymond, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus podcast. Hello, welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair, and the season is nearly over as we move into the last four games of the season. It's Burnley at home on Monday night, and I've got Matt Dom and Will Oakley with me to look ahead to the game. Plus, Morgs joins for an in-focus chat about a man who certainly divided opinion whilst at the club, Brian Ruiz. So let's go. Fulham. Well, hello, boys. We haven't spoken on the show for a little while. Give me your thoughts on what's been happening at the club recently. Dom, I think you were on after the Arsenal game, but you've been resigned to our fate for a while now, haven't you, mate? Yeah, it's going pretty well, isn't it? I mean, no, no complaints here. Um, I mean, what can you say? It's we had a chance with those that run of games, didn't we? Um, fucked it up. Here we are, just waiting for the either Newcastle win or the, our defeat to to finally put the last nail in the coffin. But yeah, it's over. It's over. I think even if we beat Burnley, I mean, it comes after the Newcastle game from start. But even if that gives us a chance. I mean, we're not, not going to take it, are we? Yeah, I, I mean, I was. Um, I remember I was on the podcast before the Arsenal game when uh, Colin Sean did his motivational speech. Uh, <laughs> clearly, clearly, the players didn't have a listen. Uh, might have helped if they did, but I remember I was listening to that like with my headphone in in a pub, and I remember it went in. I was listening to BBC Five Live, and I was just crying in the middle of the pub, pretty much. Yeah, you know, I seriously think if we won that game we could have still had a chance. I mean, but you've got to look at all these little things that have happened this year that not have gone against us, but that we've caused to go against us. There's so many little mistakes that could have easily been fixed that um, that could have kept us up. And it's not like, uh, I don't think the whole season has been terrible. We've obviously had them good games against Liverpool and Leicester and Everton, but then it's just the games against West Brom and Newcastle and, you know, whoever else, those games that just go wrong. And we're going to look back on that at the end of the season. Like, I mean, like you always do when you have a bad season, but I feel like it's just those little things that we could have definitely improved and that could have kept us up, really. Yeah, but bottom line is it was in our hands. We always had the target of getting 40-odd, 40, 38, 40 points. <laughs> and it looks like we're going to be some way short. So, um, yeah, it's sad the way it turned out because a few months ago we, we, we went on that run, got caught up you know we were a point behind Newcastle at one point I think we were um it looked like we're going to kick on here and the opposite happened and they kicked on instead yeah nothing we can do about it now well we're nine points behind both Newcastle and Burnley and we've still got to play both of them obviously we've been speaking for the last couple of shows as if it's all over and you've just said you think it's all over but is there any, even any point in thinking there's a possibility we could get out of this re- for either of you? I mean, Newcastle play Friday night. They're away at Leicester. They lose that, and then we beat Burnley, and we're six points behind them with three to play. It's still a possibility, but it always comes back to me to the fact that this involves us winning some games, and we're just no good at winning <laughs> games, aren't we? <laughs> Yeah, it's all, all the hope in the world. And then you remember, oh, yeah, we won twice at the Cottage. We scored yeah. nine goals at the Cottage all season. It's not going to change now, is it? But but the annoying thing is, if if those results do happen, like you say, there, there will hope will come back. It's just, just by nature of following a football team, you've, you've got to have that hope. 
however little there is. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, all you need is a chip in a chair, as they say. But um, yeah, we're 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 very very close to the drop now. Yeah, I mean, the chances of us staying up, like, like you said, are just ridiculously small. I mean, it would be a great escape, but it would also be extremely lucky. I mean, think about the chances we've had to stay up. Like uh, Dom said earlier, we were one point from Newcastle at one point, and now we're nine points. If we couldn't do it when we were one point uh, adrift, I don't see how we're going to be able to do it when we're nine. I mean, you never know, but you sort of do know. Yeah, the, the, the really annoying thing is we've got four games left. You look at your fixtures. I mean, a few months ago, we were looking at these fixtures and we are like, oh, we've got Burnley, oh, we've got Newcastle in our last four games. We just need to be within touch. And then all of a sudden, that's the you know two massive six-pointers in the final four games. Now they're not, just because we haven't been able to pick up the wins that we need. Well, as I said, Newcastle are at Leicester on Friday night. Um, if they get anything from the game, then we have to win the last four games to have any chance of staying up. Newcastle get a point at Leicester. We lose to Burnley. It's over. We're down. That's the that's the harsh reality of it. Um, so what do we do about the team for the last few games then? Do we do we stick with the same old formula or start looking ahead to next season and phasing out the lone players, chaps? Uh, Loftus-Cheek, don't put him in, first of all. Um, Mitrovic has to be starting games for me. I, I mean... Everyone has said it pretty much for most of the season. He has to be in the team. Um, probably won't be, but he should be, I think. And I think Kearney maybe should get some minutes off the bench because if he's sold at the end of this season, we kind of want him to get an OK send-off. You know, we don't want him to not be playing the last season that he's at the club. And if he does stay with us next year, then it would be nice to get him, nice to get some minutes uh, for him. But yeah, I think... We've got to stick, really, if we have any chance with, like, you know, Ariola, Anderson, especially those two. We have to stick with them if we even think we have a chance. But, yeah, Loftus-Cheek, seriously, I can't emphasise it enough. He shouldn't be at the club. I, I, It's ridiculous. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, yeah, all the while, there's still a tiny, 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 tiny glimmer of hope. You've got to play what you think is your strongest team. Um <laughs> that strongest team turns out isn't actually very strong at all but you've, you've got to keep going with what, what you've got um don't don't chuck the kids in just yet I mean there's no point it's kind of a empty gesture anyway isn't it just here you go we're down now you've got no no chance it's not really any decent experience for them playing in dead rubbers I don't think so what did you, yeah. what did you make what did you make of bringing on uh Carvalho against Chelsea then I've wanted to see more of him this season. He's, I think, over the last couple of years, he's been the standout youth player in that in that setup. Um, and I, I just think, you know, if a player's good enough, then it doesn't really matter if he's if he's young or if he's inexperienced. He, he's an unknown quantity, and we haven't made enough use of those. I think there's there's a few players like that in the academy that potentially could have had an impact like Ryan Sessegnon did you, you don't know you just don't know um it's a shame you haven't seen more of him you can't you can't make up your mind for from 10 minutes can you it's just strange timing to throw him on though yeah we, we kind of spoke about this in the um in the Chelsea review podcast at the weekend but when you need a goal instead of bringing on Serbia's all-time leading goal scorer you give a you give a teenager a debut and it's not the sort of thing you would ever have seen in the Roy Hodgson great escape what is it it's just it's just a really bizarre 
situation where, you know, you could understand bringing him in, like, I don't know, early in the season, like bring him off the bench in those earlier games or something, just to, just to blood him in and see if he can make an impact this season. But to start bringing him in now, I, I just don't really understand the timing of it. What do you think, Will? Yeah, I'd agree with you. I mean, I do think that players like Carvalho, uh, Stansfield and, and maybe Jasper as well, uh, I think they should probably be getting some minutes off the bench throughout the season. Um, and and like you say, if Parker was willing to make a sub there, why would you not put Mitrovic on before uh, before that? Why would you put Carvalho on first? I mean, I know Mitrovic did come on, but he can hardly make an impact in whatever, 12 minutes or whatever it was, I don't yeah. know. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, if you're willing to make a sub, why would you put Carvalho on instead of, like you say, Serbia's all-time top scorer? Yeah, we, we've we've spoken about this so much, haven't we? And um, there's almost no point debating it anymore. Something's happened. We're not sure what's happened. They clearly don't see eye to eye anymore. Whether it's Mitro, whether it's Parker, I don't know. The, 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 the rumour that we've heard is that he came back from that difficult week where he missed a penalty against Sheffield United and gave away a penalty. And uh, then he missed one against Scotland, didn't he, in the international break after that. Came back didn't get the support he wanted, maybe a bit of a baby. Um, but at the same time, Parker's meant to be this good man manager. And you'd think he would have he would have read that situation a bit better, having not long retired from the game. And that's the sort of thing you, you want as a player. So I don't know what's gone wrong there, but I think it's probably Mitrovic's last few games for us, sadly. Um, and that's a big shame. And that's one thing that I really doesn't sit right with me. And if, if it is Parker that's got shares a bit of blame in that in that respect I'm, I'm really not happy about that because what an asset Mitrovic is in the championship we've seen before it'll be a real shame if he's if he's not there next year yeah I mean the thing is he scored 26 goals under Parker I mean surely he, he realizes how much of an asset he was and surely they were close last season in the championship I, I think I, mean, I think Parker was a big reason as to why he stayed in the first place last year. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. And so like you say, it's not just gone downhill naturally. That Something has gone on. And whether it is that the, the support thing or whether it's something else, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, we need him. Whether it's uh, whether it was this season or, or next season or whatever season, I think he's the best player of the club still. And what of Scott Parker then? I mean, everybody's got an opinion on this. Does he stay? Does he go? Does he does he shoulder the full blame for this season, or is there, uh, you know, somebody else to blame? Tony Khan, for example. I know Matt, you've got a, you've got a strong opinion on this. Yeah, I I think I think he takes most of the blame. Um, Tony Khan, he screwed up the last transfer window when we when we got promoted. Uh, he uh, we overspent on players that, that we and cobbled together a really random squad of players that didn't work together. We're still paying for that. So he takes the fact that we kind of had to make up the squad this time with loan to buys or or cheap signings is is partly his fault from from a couple of years ago. But at the same time, I don't think he could have done much better in the last transfer window. Um I think that squad was good enough to stay up. Maybe it was close. We haven't got very much in the attacking department but but then you don't leave your only good striker on the bench for most of the season do you so that tilts it towards Parker for me I I don't really want to see him next year I don't think he's going to get fired and with that in mind I'll have to accept it and hope he kind of learns from this season and 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 improves Uh, but 
I would roll the dice, but I know that's it, it's pretty evenly split, I'd say, in the fan base. Yeah, I, I mean, it's so difficult with Parker. It really is. Um, I still quite like him. And I know this argument's a bit ridiculous, but I think he will be a good manager because I think we've sort of seen him him learn throughout each uh, season he's been with us. I mean, I know it's only been, what, two and a half or two and a bit even. But, you know, we've seen how he's developed. Uh, and look, he can learn from this season if he realises we were, yeah, we were good defensively. We were, uh, but not attacking. You know, whenever we have a one-goal lead, we don't push for a second. He's got to realise that in certain scenarios, you have got to push for the second. And in certain scenarios, does it, you have to does it take wait. A, does it take a season to realise that, though? Yeah, yeah, I know. That is the thing. He does take a lot of the blame for this season for me. But is it is it going to be worth it keeping hold of him? Because, you know, he's a young manager and he's had now a season and a bit in the Premier League and a full season in the Championship. That's a good amount of experience. And do you think he can grow from that? Maybe, maybe not. But that's a risk, I suppose. There's two questions here, aren't there? The first one is, do you want him out? And the second one is, do you think he will get fired? Um, And I think, um, I don't want him to get sacked. I think that hopefully he can lean on the experience that he's got in the last couple of years um, and have another go at the championship. I don't necessarily think we're going to expect to come up next season because I think there's such a big rebuild job to do on that squad now, considering the amount of players I would expect to leave. And, you know, I include the likes of Mitrovic in that as well. And finding somebody to replace him in the championship is is going to be one of the hardest jobs anybody's got. Um, but I feel like Parker and Tony Khan get on quite well. They, they seem to, um, I, I think... Scott Parker is the sort of person who wouldn't necessarily criticise Tony Khan, although he did um, he did publicly publicly criticise him when Tony Khan apologised for that performance at home to Villa um, earlier in the season. I feel like they work quite well together um, in that sense. Um, in terms of what they've delivered on the pitch, they've got a 50% success rate, haven't they? They got us up but couldn't keep us up. But I also feel like the Khans, if they were going to fire him, they probably would have done it by now. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean... Like you said, I, I've actually said this the last few weeks, but Parker, I, I feel, obviously you can't really say much, but just from the outside, he looks a bit of a yes man. Do you know what I mean? Like if Tony says, yeah, we're, we're going to buy this player or we're only going to put this much money into the club, he'll just be like, yeah, because he doesn't want to fall out of anyone. And that that's the that's the thing that Tony Khan's going to like, isn't he? You know, I mean, I'm pretty sure he had the little fallout with Slavisa that sort of came out a bit about... The, the transfers about how Slavisa didn't have much control over it and and he wasn't happy about that. But I feel like Parker um, Parker just doesn't really mind as he's got a managerial job or, or a head coaching job or whatever. And he's, he's happy with that. We're speculating here about him being a yes man. And I'm not necessarily sure I agree with that because he was a, he was a club captain for, for a number of years and you're not a club captain or a good club captain unless you're willing to stick a rocket up people's ass and dish out, dish out a bollocking every now and then. And you saw the way he was at the end of the playoff final, how emotional he was. Um, and that was that was quite a nice thing to see. But I, I think somebody who's not not afraid to show their emotions probably isn't afraid to show the other side of the emotional side as well, and that's anger. And I, I don't think he'd hesitate to bollock somebody if they needed to be bollocked, whether that's a footballer or whether it's Tony Khan. I, you know, he's... Um, 
he's a man of a certain age where you know you you kind of you, you can stand up for yourself and 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 I think he probably would do that but I think we've it's easy to fall into the trap when you see him interviewed of thinking oh he's a nice bloke he probably just kisses everyone's ass and I don't necessarily think that that's that's the case yeah I think yeah he doesn't give a lot away on the on the touchline um there's always that thing that some people love their managers to be jumping around and shouting and screaming and kicking every ball and heading every ball and all that kind of stuff. But others like a calm collective head because essentially you're the person who's trying to link everything together and, and watch it. And I don't think it necessarily helps getting overly emotional about things. Um, but I think it's, I think this really is going to hurt him. Um, I think, I think he'd be willing to stay and give it another go. Um, my my issue with Parker the whole time has been I never thought he was the right person because I, I agree that I think one day he probably will be a good manager. But I kind of get the impression that he's going to learn his trade and make his mistakes here and then maybe he'll go on to bigger and better things. And that kind of doesn't, doesn't sit right with him. Not, not because of, you know, he's not using us in any way, but I think one day a bigger club may come along um and he'll he'll naturally naturally want to go but it just kind of i sort of want the finished article here now and i think the finished article probably would have kept us up this season i don't know who that is but um i think i think it was a missed opportunity yeah i, I do see what you're saying and uh, again this is just you know this is just what we think but or, or something came out at the start of the season or someone said something um saying that if Parker was offered the Spurs job at the same time as the Fulham one, he probably would take the Spurs one. And, you know, that, that's fair enough. Of course you would. But Wouldn't anyone. Yeah, well, yeah. But but the fact is, is I, Fulham was just the first managerial job he was offered. And, you know, maybe he's just saying yes, because that's all he had to go to, if you know what I mean. But, it, it was a great again, job for him. Great job. Yeah, for him yeah, def- it definitely was. But I do see what you're saying. If a big club does come along, does he say... Does he say no whilst he's still in charge of us, or you know, do you know what I mean? It's a difficult one. It's the same with any yeah. player as well who might be, yeah, any course, player who's yeah. good who is going to pick bigger club is going to start looking, aren't they? I don't think he's done enough to earn his chance at a bigger club at the moment, and I'd be surprised if Spurs came in from this summer, like some people seem to think. Um, but you know, who you know, we couldn't begrudge a manager for accepting a job at a bigger club. You know, Roy Hodgson did it. It's human nature, though. It's not just yeah. football, but it's life, yeah. isn't it? If you get offered yeah. a bigger and better opportunity elsewhere, you're going to probably take it unless, you know, you're at a stage in your life and career where you're financially secure, you've had your career already, and, you know, you, you just want to move sideways or, or go and manage your hometown club or something. I, I, I don't see that that would, that would be an issue for anybody. And if Spurs came in for him, I'd be very, very surprised at this stage. Um because I don't necessarily think he's he's right for them at the moment. I don't think he's experienced enough. And I think Spurs are looking for somebody to take them on to the next level, which is why they, they sacked Mourinho, because he, he didn't deliver. And I don't think Scott Parker will deliver that either. So I think that they're looking at a different calibre of, of manager, personally. But I'd be very surprised if um, if he if he ended up going there. All right. Well, there's plenty more uh, discussion to be had on Scott Parker, I'm sure, between now and the end of the season and probably even beyond. But for now, let's go across to a chat that I had with Morks recently about Brian Ruiz. Brian Ruiz in focus. Fulham. Right. Yes, it's time for 
the next in our line of player in focus chats. This week, I've got Morgs with me to talk about Brian Ruiz. How are you doing, Morgs? I'm all right. Thanks, mate. I'm looking forward to this <laughs> chat. <laughs> well, costing the club north of 10 million quid on the August transfer deadline day in 2011, Costa Rican international Brian Ruiz signed for Fulham on a four year contract from FC Twente, despite a late bid from Newcastle, who tried to scupper the deal. He cited Martin Yole being a major factor in him choosing Fulham, as well as the fact that Fulham felt more personal than other clubs interested in him. I remember being really glad that a player I'd actually never heard of chose us over the bigger club. How did you feel when he joined, mate? Did you know much about him at the time? I didn't know much about him until I sort of... Uh, he was one of the first players that I ever went onto YouTube to try and look up what he was about. And... Obviously, he looked exciting, and we we saw, you know, as we're talking about, we saw glimpses of his uh, what he could bring to a team. But it was also, you know, you can only gather so much from seeing his goals, which you know we all know he was capable of uh, brilliant goals. But as you said, he chose us over what we class as a bigger side. So there was the excitement there. There was the excitement, the fact he cost over ten million, despite our history of not having much success with players that cost over 10 million and I was I was excited to see him I was a you know, there was a genuine excitement that there might be a gem of a player about to sign for us so you know, as you know we'll talk but didn't quite come out in that way well yeah I mean he he was a player that divided opinion and that's that's being quite kind I think but in preparation for having this chat, I had a look at a couple of YouTube highlight reels and he looks like an amazing player from the highlight reels. <laughs> Incredible. He's, Close control. He's the Costa Messi, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Close control, could go past players, could cross the ball. Brilliant with assists, splitting defences open with, with outstanding passes and, you know, stunning goals as well. What happened? Well, it didn't help that, you know, a strong gust of wind could blow him over. <laughs> uh, it's playing. The Dutch league isn't a bad league. And, you know, there have been, you know, loads of players that have come over here and done well from that division, from the, what is it called, the Eredivisie. But it's also less physical than the Premier League. And I think a lot of players are shocked by it. And especially. Ones from South America, Central America, they do struggle a lot of the time, unless they're built in a particular way. And I think it was just that. I think he was a flair player as well, playing in a side that was struggling. We were on the downward slope. And we saw it with um, Berbatov as well. We can't have passengers in a, in a team like that. And I think maybe in the Tagana days, if we'd had a you know Brian Ruiz, it would have been a different kettle of fish. But in the Martin Yole side, which was a team of aging players, having him come in may have been there to sort of, you know, breathe fresh life into the team. But realistically, they needed someone who was going to get in there and graft. And he wasn't a grafter. And you could see him how he uh how he leads the Costa Rican side, how he sort of uh, you know pulls them along. But I guess that's different. You know, it's a different style of football altogether. And it just didn't work out for him uh, in that way over here. And he made his debut against Steve Keane's Blackburn Rovers after the international break, having signed for us. 
but was taken off to be replaced by Moussa Dembele at half-time in a game that ended one all and left both sides in the bottom three and winless after the first four games of the season. Absolutely not the best start to his Fulham career, was it? I mean, the game was live on Sky and he was way off the pace. I think whenever a player signs from overseas, they're always going to take a little bit of time to adapt. But I think, uh, yeah, you if you're making your debut on live TV, you want to have a bit more uh, influence on the game. And to be dragged off at half-time, it's a little bit embarrassing. But at the same time, should he have started? Sort of player like that, you would blood into the team, surely. So what could you... Like any sort of... Uh, expensive signing you expect the best of them straight away but realistically yeah. is that going to be the case well he was to announce his arrival in the Premier League with a stunning chipped equaliser against Everton six weeks after his debut the Whites went on to lose the game 3-1 as Everton scored twice in injury time but it's got to be one of the finest first goals anyone has ever scored for the club Tim Howard in the Everton goal was left with absolutely no chance whatsoever what, what do you remember about that goal I just remember it was an absolute beauty just the the deft touch, the the angle, the the fact that Howard had absolutely no chance, and he was you know no mean shot stopper. Uh, you know we'll talk about favourite goals, but that's always got to be up there. Um, it was just so perfectly executed, and I think it just showed that whilst he may not have had the the graft in him, there was certainly the genius footballer within that player. And whilst we may not have got the perfect uh, you know, display of it throughout his film career, it was glimpses of that that just show, yeah, okay, we can see why we signed him. But uh, yeah, you just needed more overall, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just on that goal, I remember being sat in the Hammersmith end and, and as he hit it, it felt like he just completely scuffed it at the time because um, you don't kind of have that um, perception of depth when, when you're sat behind the goal. And just when it dropped over the keeper's head and into the net, it was just absolutely perfect. And then he scored another incredible lob against Bolton just before Christmas, didn't he? Do you remember that goal? Yeah, the Bolton goal. I mean, that, I guess in the same way as the Everton goal, there was the the excellence of the execution in that. But it was the fact he did it on the run as well. It was just such a just such a perfect finish and just a brilliant piece of play. We can only dream of that these days, it would seem. Uh, it's just the confidence to do that. But you knew he'd, he'd probably done it, you know, 100 times before in his career. Mm. And mm. It's, it's that flair that we just don't have these days. And whilst he may not have been the best all-round player, it's great to reminisce about having that type of player in your team because it is something special. And when you only get to see it on sort of rare, um, rare occasions, you do have to appreciate it and you do have to you know, remember it. And it's a good piece of uh, nostalgia when we're looking mm. back, especially at these type of conversations. I don't ever remember a goal being scored quite like that. I mean, certainly not at Craven Cottage, but just in the Premier League where players just threw on goal and instead of, picking out one of the corners or going around the keeper, just scooping it up over the keeper. and well, It's again, not a very English goal, is it? It's not, no, it's it's certainly not. not a Premier League goal. You wouldn't get that in um, the Championship or anything. You might get it in Serie A or uh, La Liga mm. or sort of, you know, in the Brazilian League or something. But it's just not a very British goal. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, just yeah, yeah. drive it in the corner. Don't fanny about. Get it in the net. Mm. Well, that was uh, 
you know, looking at that, you you had to appreciate it. Well, what which one of his strikes was your favourite goal then? Well, I was looking through some, and I had to sort of jog my memory because obviously it was a long time ago now. Um, there was obviously the Reading goal where he played. I think it was a one-two with was it Damien Duff? I think maybe or someone, and he just uh, planted it into the top corner, like right in the top corner. The uh, the goal against Cardiff, where the ball came out to Sasha Ritha, and he played it into uh, Ruiz, and he sort of turned, curled it into the top corner. That was a brilliant one. My, I guess, from my enjoyment of uh, shit house goals, uh, his goal against Blackpool. I think it was, um, it may have been in the championship when he scored direct from a corner. You can't beat a direct from a corner goal. <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, it's embarrassing for the goalkeeper, you know, all concerned, the defensive side. But, uh, you know, again, we can only dream of that nowadays. I mean, he beat the first man, I mean, which is uh, something that we seem to struggle to do anyway. Um, but my, my favourite goal is the Everton goal, I think. I think it was just the fact it was his first goal. The fact it was just so perfectly executed. And having had a fairly sort of, you know, average, well, obviously terrible first game and not looked particularly special to do that was, uh, you know, whilst it didn't sort of set the tone for his Fulham career, it certainly uh, energised the beginning of it. Yeah, I I, I don't think um, many will be able to disagree with that. For for me, um, I really like that Reading goal, um, just because it's uh, a team that's just up the road from where I live, and it's it's always nice to to see the ball fly in the back of their net. Um, and of course, that game finished three all anyway. Somehow, we didn't end up winning that game, having been behind for for quite a while. Brian Ruiz got the equaliser that day, cracking finish. Um, but he, yeah, he's, he he scored a few against Reading. I think he, he got a couple against him um, in the Premier League when we lost, I think four two at home, um, and then he got the winner against them um, in the Championship as well, a last last minute winner. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's very difficult to disagree with that Everton that Everton goal, unless you know somebody wanted to argue the case for the for the Bolton goal as well. But for me, just. Um, for, for personal it's quite, reasons, I'm saying that they're sort of very similar, but at the same time, they're very different because obviously he had that time just to sort of get the ball, look up, and then yeah, uh, execute the chip. The Bolton goal was very much it was just um, the, his flair element. I mean, mm. you know, that was all it was on the fly, it was just kind of instinct. So, I guess you know, there, there's arguments for both of them, but I think Everton mm. was just about my favorite. Mm. Well, we've established that he had an eye for the spectacular. But he could also vanish into obscurity in games too, couldn't he? As I said, he really did divide opinion amongst Fulham fans. Yeah, and as we've mentioned, he was a flair player. He wasn't there to carry teams. He was there to be an outlet for creativity. But as we said, you know, when your team is struggling anyway, the last thing you need is a flair pe- uh, player who only performs when a team's doing well. And it's it's very difficult. I mean, and this is, uh, you know, I'm not having a go at Ruiz for his style of play. That's just who he was as a player. And he done he did very well throughout his career as that type of player. But it was just, he was just ill-suited to Fulham at that time. So whilst it would have been great to have him at the height of our powers, 
to have him at a time when you know we had a bunch of 30 year olds playing in the team it just didn't sort of it did not suit him and no wonder he disappeared into obscurity in those games because there was a uh, nothing sort of going on around him and it's uh, yeah it's just it's a, it's a missed opportunity because i think uh, you know a player like him has all the potential to do well in the premier league if he's got the right players around him i think you're right in in a sense but there's different types of flair players aren't there like um you'd look at Moussa Dembélé the first for example and think yeah. well he is the sort of player who could have carried a team he had that flair he had that pace he had that drive and had we needed a player like that at that time then he he would have been ideal as opposed to Brian Ruiz who was I don't know I don't know the best way to describe him without being being offensive to be honest but he was just a bit a bit lightweight yeah i think with someone like Moussa Dembélé he was he had a flair element to his play but everything about him was exceptional. Mm. It wasn't just about his uh, creativity. It was, you know, his ability to uh, pick the ball out of nowhere, to sort of allow the ball to stick to his feet, to find that pass to track back. That, you know, Ruiz only had a couple of points like that in his game, whereas uh, Dembele was an all-round footballing genius. And... Mm. You know, he was able to carry teams and drive teams, whereas uh, Ruiz was more just the um, creative spark within a successful team. Well, Ruiz was loaned out to PSV in January 2014, just after René Moulinstein took over for his brief stint in charge of the club. It was right in the middle of that relegation battle, though. Dimitar Berbatov obviously also left in the same window. I guess that just about sums Ruiz up in a nutshell. Just not up to it when you needed a fighter in the side. That's what we said, isn't it? It's yeah. He's. I can see why they let him go. I, I think potentially uh, at the time, I don't. I don't know why we would have. Uh, I mean, I know. I knew why Berbatov left. I mean, that's again not the type of player you needed in a relegation fight. But uh, yeah, we kind of left ourselves a bit short, and maybe Ruiz would have been more useful in the squad. Um, just sort of when you know, in those, especially in. Mullenstein's team because we couldn't defend under him but we could score a few so he might have actually been all right um but you know it was was what it was he wanted probably wanted to go out and um play for his world cup spot as well for that year and obviously he was comfortable in the dutch league and you know he always put in good performances there that's why we paid a lot of money for him from it indeed well he came back after that loan spell and went straight to the 2014 world cup in brazil as a fulham player He's actually the last Fulham player to both play and score in a World Cup. He captained Costa Rica to the quarterfinals where they lost on penalties to Holland and he missed a penalty in that shootout, having scored one in the previous round where they knocked Greece out on penalties. Do you remember much about Brian Ruiz from that World Cup? I don't remember specific games as such. I remember kind of following how he was doing because he was a Fulham player. But I just remember that World Cup being painful to watch. Yeah. Yeah, because well, we, we were so we bad. Knocked, we got knocked out in the in the group stages, didn't we? And well, yeah, well, we, we, yeah. it was it was it was Brian it was Brian Ruiz who got the winner against Italy for Costa Rica that knocked England out in the end. Yeah, I remember that bit. That was annoying. Mm. <laughs> but I just remember when we played them, wasn't it? We drew with them nil nil, didn't we? We did, yeah. And just, obviously, this isn't a World Cup reminisce, but I mean, drawing nil nil with Costa Rica, obviously Italy 
lost them, so they must have been a half decent team. But yeah. we were just so bad; it was, you know, it was so painful to watch um, that I kind of zoned out. I think for the most part, it was always going to be a tough group to get out of, though, with Uruguay and Italy in that group. But Costa Rica ended up winning it. Yeah, you always get little freak results in the World Cup like that, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you do. You do. Well, Brian Ruiz ended up staying with Fulham as we were relegated from the Premier League in 2014. He played 32 times, scoring five goals in the championship. He almost signed for La Liga side Levente in the January transfer window, but the paperwork wasn't submitted in time. What do you remember about his performances for Fulham in the championship? Really, a player of his calibre should have lit up that division, shouldn't he? Yes. Because obviously, as uh, in terms of quality, he was far better than the majority of players in that league, especially at the time. Um, but it's like a lot of our players. It was uh, almost similar to you know Patrick Roberts in the championship. Just completely ill-suited to that football there, because you're coming up against uh, you know aging defenders that sort of you know is much more physical the you know he doesn't he's not suited to playing a physical physical league because he'll get thrown around like a ragdoll and he just yeah he was able to score a few goals and he should have been more influential just from quality alone but when you're coming up against the sort of challenges and sort of the argy bargy and whatnot that you get in the championship um i wasn't overly surprised that he didn't do well at the time i was very surprised that he even stayed um, but I think, uh, yeah, we what did we say? Like five goals or something that he got? Yeah. Um, yeah, but he, he didn't. He, uh, when Felix McGat was there at the start of the season, Felix just didn't play him. So they obviously didn't see eye to eye. Um, which is probably <laughs> see eye to eye to anyone. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that was the problem with Felix, wasn't it? But he, he froze Ruiz out of the side. But when Kit Simons came back in, he, he started playing him again. And yeah, yeah, five five goals in thirty two games isn't isn't brilliant for a player that costs ten point five million quid, is he? Is it's it? not, but I mean, he wasn't signed to play in the championship. I think True. he was just, you know, he was there to light up the Premier Premier League. Mm. But I, yeah, I just don't think he was ever going to be particularly suited because it is such a anomaly that league. Mm. You know, it's yeah. such a it's so exponentially different from the Premier League in terms of quality. Mm. Uh, and whilst now, you know, obviously the football is great to watch and it is so competitive, you wouldn't sign a player, you know, with the same sort of, you know, Tony Carr's stats computer wouldn't spit out Brian Ruiz as an option for the championship, whereas it wouldn't no. spit out for the Premier League. Yeah, that's fair. Well, at the end of that season, we took up the option to extend his contract by a year so we could recoup some money for him and then subsequently sold him to Sports in Lisbon. Any memories of how you felt when he left? Not really. <laughs> I was gonna, it was more of a, you know, wish him well. I'm sure he did his best. It was an up and down uh, career at Fulham. Mm. What came, you know, what was, uh, you know, an excitement of him joining, having sort of, um, you know, looked at his stats, not stats, his um, highlights reel and stuff, never really panned out. Mm. And, but at the same time, he always handled himself well. He was never disrespectful to the club. He never uh, had a bad attitude about, well, never publicly had a bad attitude about uh, his omission from the squad or anything. So it's, you know, it was, you know, you wish him well. The club was in transition at that point. And there certainly wasn't really a place for him in that league. 
And I think Sporting Lisbon was, at the time, you know, a great move for him. And he was definitely a top league player in Europe. Uh, and he, he was still national captain as well. So he needed to be playing regular football. Yeah. Good league. I, th- I think all I remember about him him going is that I just I didn't expect him to be there for as long as he was. And I was surprised that, you know, he, he stayed for a season in the championship, probably against his will to a certain extent, particularly with that move to Levante falling through in the January. So I don't think it was any surprise that that he left in the summer. Um, but yeah, he was just one of those players who I look back, back at and think, yeah, he scored a couple of good goals, but I don't really remember an awful lot else that he did apart from those moments of brilliance, which amounted to nothing really in the end because they were in seasons where we didn't really achieve much no and it is it's kind of it is one of those big shames isn't it you can look back at um lists of players that promised so much and delivered so little and he's certainly in there Mm. and whether that's it's a bit unfair because maybe that's just based purely on his um on his stats in the Eredivisie or his price tag uh, but at the same time, you know, with, uh, you know, when you spend 10 million on a player, especially back in 2013, uh, there is a certain element of expectation that comes with it. And unfortunately, aside from those goals, he didn't really deliver. You're right uh, about the price tag as well, because if we'd, if we paid a million quid for him, then we probably would be saying, yeah, he was, he was actually okay, but he's a, he came with a lot of expectation because we spent a lot of money on him and and he didn't really we didn't really get our money's worth as as he said as as is the case with a lot of um a lot of players that we spent big money on over the years the likes of Metropolis, Steve Marley um maybe even Andy Johnson to a certain extent you know oh i think i think we got a bit more out of him than we well, he's, a, well, he's yeah. always injured though wasn't he yeah but he scored goals i guess and yeah. he was effective when he did play i mean you look at Anguita mm. as well 30 million of- well, yeah, that's, uh, that's a different level. Yeah. There's different different levels of players now, aren't yeah. they? When you spend <laughs> thirty million on players and going, well, yeah. we, we really got value out of them. But yeah, no, no, that's fair enough. Well, Brian Ruiz scored thirteen goals in 106 games for Fulham. Rate his career out of ten. Don't be too harsh, but mm. I'll give him a, I'll give him a four. A four. <laughs> yeah. Wanna... I can't. The thing is, I'd love to give him higher, but. Aside from those goals, I can't really think of anything exceptional mm. to give him more marks on. Yeah. You know, I can't remember a uh, Ruiz-inspired performance. Obviously, he scored goals, he scored equalisers mm. and whatnot. But there was never a match where you, you look back and go, oh, do you remember when he ran the show for 90 minutes? It was absolutely amazing. You know, we'll, talk, mm. we'll talk to our grandkids about that game. We never had that. Yeah. And so he was, you know, he was expensive, scored a couple of good goals. But apart from that, he added very little to the uh, to the squad, which sounds harsh. But at the same time, it's uh, probably true. Because but to be fair, at the time, no one was really adding that much to the squad. So he's kind of a victim of circumstance as opposed to just being, you know, the the full guy for it. Yeah, perhaps. I was going to go one, one higher. And in actual fact, I was going to go two higher. I was going to give him a six, but... I haven't really got any justification to go any higher than bang average through the middle five. Um, as you say, you know, his, he, he gets marked up for, for his goals that he scored and the quality of his goals, but then he gets marked down immediately just for, as you say, just not impacting games as much as we expected him to. So, yeah, that's Brian Ruiz then. All right, mate, thanks for that. Let's pass it back to the main show.
Fulham. Right, let's have a quick look at the Burnley stats then. So, our record in the Premier League against Burnley, we've played five, won two, drawn two, and only ever lost one game in the Premier League against Burnley. That was that game in 2019 where there were those two own goals where Burnley didn't even register a shot on target. Our last defeat to Burnley was back in January this year, that 3-0 FA Cup defeat at the Cottage. A total record against Burnley. We've played them 98 times. We've won 31, drawn 20 and lost 47. This season, Burnley have nine wins, nine draws. They've scored 31, which is six more than we scored. We only scored 25 goals all season. It's terrible, isn't it? Less than Burnley. Uh, Yeah, I know. Um, They've conceded 47, which is two more than we have. And they currently sit on 36 points. So they're very, very close to safety. Their current form is that they've lost four out of their last five games. Although the game before the last one, they beat Wolves 4-0 away from home, which was just quite a strange scoreline. I didn't see that coming. Uh, The current form table in the Premier League, no surprises. Fulham are bottom with one point from five games. And Burnley are 17th. They've got three points from five games. Few stats from this season. Burnley have kept 10 clean sheets compared to our nine. They've scored 0.91 goals per game compared to our 0.74. They've conceded 1.38 goals per game, which is exactly the same as Fulham. They've had 114 shots on target all season compared to our 125. And their shooting accuracy is 34% compared to Fulham's 32%. So, lads, let's come on to some score predictions this weekend. Then we've already mentioned the Leicester versus Newcastle game, which is this Friday at 8pm. How do you see that going, Will? Um, I think Leicester will win. I mean, they've, they're still... Uh, well, I mean, they've pretty much got their Champions League spot, I guess. But they're still, you know, they, they're going to try and keep pushing um, and trying to win games. And, and they've got one of the best teams in the league, I think, with Ihi Nacho. Ihi, Ihi Nacho, is it? Yeah, on, on the form he's in. Uh, and, and Vardy up top as well. I do think they'll beat Newcastle. I don't think Newcastle are good enough. Um, and I'm sure that will pump a bit of hope into people on Twitter anyway. Yeah, Newcastle lost at home to Arsenal at the weekend as well, didn't they? How do you see this going, uh, Dom? Oh, I mean, we, we won there, didn't we? So there's it like... Is. <laughs> so I, I I can't call it. Newcastle have looked pretty good recently. Um, they've got their their best players back, and uh, I don't know. There's a, there's a very small part of me that kind of just wants to be put out of my misery. Hmm. And so I don't think I'd be. I'm not going to have a meltdown if if it's not the result that we that we're after. Um, but I, I, New, Leicester should win. But there's there's a there's that element where I think well maybe Newcastle are going to see it off. It would be a shame. It would be such a shame to 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 see them get out of it before we've even had a chance to play this weekend. But then it comes down to to us versus Burnley, doesn't it? But um, how about Arsenal versus West Brom on Sunday? Um, Sunday seven pm. Will see Arsenal. Sorry, do you see West Brom getting anything out of that? Uh, I mean, they could. Arsenal are quite unpredictable, aren't they? And and West Brom haven't even been too bad, to be fair. Um, I don't know. I, I think Arsenal will win. But again, I, I'm not too bothered about West Brom. I mean, they might end up overtaking us. But the thing is, if they do end up overtaking us, we're down by that point anyway. So it's whatever, really. 
18th, 19th, either way we're in the championship, aren't we? Yeah, very true. What do you reckon, Dom? Big Sam's first ever relegation confirmed this weekend? Not confirmed this weekend. I think I think they might scrape something out of that. Arsenal are shit, aren't they? Um, they're, they're there for the taking for anyone. Um, but yeah, that's good. I think they'll probably nick a point. And you know, keep just keep their their hopes going. Just as another week like ours might be. Some big Sam shithousery at the Emirates on Sunday. Then, <laughs> all right, and then let's come on to our game. Then Monday night, Fulham Burnley. What do you reckon, Will? Uh, one nil Fulham. Yeah, might as well. <laughs> might as well go for a win. Might What's as the well. Point otherwise, when was the last time we scored a goal at home? Anyone remember? Uh... <laughs> nope. <laughs> United, is it? When we lost 2-1? I don't know. No, it can't one. be that long ago, can it? I don't know. That's all I can remember. That was I'll last year, wasn't it? it? To be honest. <laughs> a couple of seasons ago, that was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, no, oh, maybe it was um, Lookman against Sheffield United. Was... We scored. Oh, no, we scored against uh, Leeds. Yeah. Did we? That was it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anderson, of, course of course we did. That's Great goal, it was, too. Yeah, it was. Fabulous. <laughs> How about for you then, Don? What do you reckon? Um, I th- I think it depends on Newcastle. If they if they if they win, then we probably win three um, <laughs> nil. That's true, actually. Yeah. If <laughs> if um, if they lose, then we probably draw nil nil. Yeah, yeah. I'm struggling to see <laughs> Fulham a Fulham goal in this one. I've got to say, I, my instinct tells me one nil Burnley. This this one. Um, but like you, I, I just want it to be over now. I want to be put out my misery. It's, and 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 if it does come to the point this weekend where Newcastle lose and we beat Burnley and we're back in it, then I don't know. I don't know what, how I feel about that. It's just you annoying. Know, isn't probably, it? Just, probably just go and lose to Southampton. Don't worry about it. Yeah, because it, it, it tees up that, that tiny little nugget yeah. of, of hope, doesn't it? Only for you to get kicked in the balls again when they when they just <laughs> let you down again. That's That's the... Joys of it, I suppose, isn't it? Mm. What, a, what a season. What a life. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that'll do for this week. We'll be back on Tuesday morning with all of the fallout from the Burnley game, so be sure to tune in for that if you can bear to hear it. Have a good week and speak soon. Cheers. Cheers.